Hey, check this out right about now. I want to introduce a brother that came all the way out of here from the Strong Island, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to present the Zero Hour Podcast. And the reason I am speaking in this tone is we have a former actress, right? Uh, Allison, say hello, please. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. It's Laverne and Shirley. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> so uh, our guest today is a retired actress. Yeah, no. I, can you retire from something when you're doing think... it in your 20s? Or could you bring yes. it back, I suppose? You can bring it back. I act it's every day. It's a past part of my life, for sure. Okay, it is a part of your fiber? Part of my fiber. But is it really a part of your past, Allison? Because I believe you are still acting, no. even if it's just locally in community theater. No, you are. You have been misinformed about that. All right. Okay. Hold on, okay. ladies, okay. before we the wrestling match oh, begins. Good. We didn't get to let right. them do the full intro. Let me do yes, the damn yes. opening. <laughs> okay. It's the Zero Hour. I am your co-host, Marvelous Mark. All right. Marvelous Mark. Marvelous indeed. Mark. And I have with me to my right, the illustrious host. Say hello. Hi. I'm Christine Chapman, your host. Wh- and yes. are you going to introduce our wonderful guest? I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Oh, you're so Ooh. good. Why take a shot at it? Uh, I, I need to look at it. It begins... Uh, I don't have my glasses on. I don't have my glasses on. Ian Tosca. Ian Tosca. Tosca. Like Tosca. Like, oh, you're Italiano. Italiano. Oh, you got some. You got some chutzpah. All right. <laughs> Let's do it, girl. Let's get it on. All ready, right. We're All ready. Right. All right. All right. So, wait, hang on. Oh, go. Okay. Wait. Hang on. Stop. Okay. Stop, stop, stop. So this is the spiel. This is the shtick. Like, I'm ready. We. Are you are you from New York, by the way? No. Are you sure? Are you from? No, she's from Hopkinton. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christine, go. <laughs> so Allison and I met because um, I was part of the governance committee at the time when Allison was being courted to join the board. Of the Hopkinton Center for the Arts. It's not um, really a courting thing. Is it it, it, it kind, of is. kind of is. Is it prestigious to be in the Hopkinton Center for the Arts? Well, yes, it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Is it? Really? Okay. But it's still one of those things where what, when you meet somebody and you see the resume of somebody who is dedicated to the arts and has already been very much involved in other organizations in impactful ways, which was Allison. Um, to a T, it gets very exciting. So I remember having these initial talks. And then um, as Allison joined the board and and had the opportunity to literally step into every single committee I chaired <laughs> to clean up the messes I left. Uh, not, uh, not even close. Are you a corporate mess cleaner? No, she is an unbelievable, uh, an unbelievable force of nature. And I remember being in media- meetings that you have hosted Feeling like, oh, my God, she is able to ground a crowd of complete strangers and get them invested in the work in ways that I that I didn't know 
um, was possible. And you were also one of those really thoughtful, like most of us are like, oh, my God, when is this meeting going to be over? Because sometimes these board meetings go on for a long time. And Allison was that person who would, of course, ask that thoughtful question that needed to be asked, sometimes making the meeting go longer, but (laughs) still um, necessary questions that allowed for us to understand the work in a much deeper way. So I am just thrilled that you are here with us today, but I'm thrilled because you are an entrepreneur. You were a creative spirit. You were a mom. You were a committed spouse. Um, You are a business owner and now an author. And what I love about your book um, and what I love, it's called Leading with Heart, Postcards from the Journey. And it says... Grocery shopping on game day, on being number 100, oceans of complexity, holding disappointment lightly, which are titles to an essay compilation book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That has – what I love about it is everything is grounded in heart and in love, right? And at the end of the day, like I've been obsessed in my 50s. Um, With this idea – you're older. um, With this idea of, hey – Love is the answer, right? And love is that which unites us as communities, as fellow parents, as educators, as as people living this life. And and it's so much easier to sort of talk about that today. And you do so in such an unbelievably eloquent and beautiful way. Thank so, you. So you write very well. Yes, you thank like, you. It is so. Christine, as part of our prep, uh, we were reading the book together, and she was reading oh, some passages to I me. I was reading to him this morning, <laughs> so and, nice. and the car right over here. It, does, does writing just come natural to you? Because like the like, I'm a much better speaker than I am a writer, right? I, I, I'm jealous of people who, who, who write well. Has that always been natural for you to write like this? Well, so two things. Yes. One that's very funny is that I remember graduating from college and in my early 20s, maybe mid-20s, and I was trying to express myself through writing. Mm-hmm. And my dad told me I wasn't a very good writer. Really? And so I kind of put the kibosh on writing really? all the way until I decided I needed to start doing a little bit of a marketing exercise for my company of penning a monthly newsletter, which was terrifying because, as you guys know, once you start doing something like that, you yeah. got to keep yeah. going because yeah. people yeah. are looking yeah. for more, right? But I just I just leapt into it. And it's funny that you say that, Mark, because uh, Michael Katz, who is another Hopkintonian, although oh, he lives in Upton Lord. now, but we're just going to keep our little tribe right. close yes. Right. Yes. Um, of brilliant people. Uh, he really taught me about connecting with people through your writing and it's writing like you think and writing like you speak like when i read your essays i'm like i'm sitting at the kitchen table with allison and we're having a conversation and maybe there's wine and maybe (laughs) there's tea and you're telling me (laughs) about the dunkin donuts um drive through was it dunkin it It had to be dunkin donuts right when i read that story i was like oh my god I've been on the receiving end of that going, have you ever been in a drive-through lineup where the person in front of you pays for your 
No. Okay, so they see my beater of a car. They're like, eh. Oh no, they would probably think you, this guy needs it. Probably. It's an extraordinary <laughs> experience. So somebody paid for your. Somebody paid for my, my whole order. Yes. It was the person who was in front of me directly at in the front of you. Drive up, and I'm all like busy and yeah, trying to get yeah. wherever I'm supposed to get to and not paying any attention at that. all. Like I could not tell you. How do they know how much it's going to be? It, it you because don't. You've you already just, gone through, oh, and they're right. at the window, and they that's just right. say, "So you can do this now." Um, yeah. They you say, "So that's I'm going to yeah. buy the order for the person behind me." And you get up there, and the this poor person at the window kept saying, "It's all set. It's all set." I'm like, "What? I what don't understand. What do you mean yeah. it's all yeah. set?" Yeah. She, she she writes, and I'm just going to quote a little bit, and I may do this at various points because okay. this one was the one where I was like, "Oh my god!" And I literally texted you. I was stunned and kept trying to force my two dollars and fifty cents on the fresh faced messenger who couldn't quite understand why it was so hard for me to get. That she didn't need my money. Wait, what? The person in front of you paid for your coffee. I don't get it. Why would they do that? You're all set. Wait, what? <laughs> and then the world suddenly seemed softer and safer and more gracious. Love prevailed. The joyful heart overpowered the fearful mind. Honk. Oh, right. Moving on. I wish I could box up the feeling so I could give it to you. I have been that person and it has been everything. Mm. And on some days, I am the person who says, hey, can we get the person behind me? I might do that. Just because it makes the other person feel really good. It, it makes really the does. other person really. feel really good. It's and It's paying it forward. Right? It's paying it forward. And it's something you can actually do. Like, we are all trying so hard to figure out the thing we can do to impact the lives of others. And that tiny little thing of $5, $10, like it or can't be that Right? Where does this leading with love persona come from, from you? Like, where is this leading with kindness hmm. persona? Uh, from childhood? How you teach your kids? Your mom and dad? Well, your dad told you you couldn't write. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> I mean he, you I know, tough love. Up. That's I tough know, love, is, right? Is, right? But, like, like where, where does that come from, you know? Uh, I, it is from my, I think it is, absolutely is from my upbringing. Okay. And to have had the chance, so... Started off on a negative note about dad, but on the yeah. other side, yeah, sure. um, it was such an extraordinary gift to work with him. To okay. be able to go to work every day, to see him in a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. And context. Home, right. Context. The, mm. His magnanimity. magnanimity Excellent. Blah, 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 blah. Magnanimity. He's very magnanimous. Okay. In, in, he was in his role as the founder and CEO. Uh, and it was all about the people he was working with. The And he really taught me this notion that uh, you you meet people where where they are with this notion of an optimistic stance that they're doing the best they can with what they've got, and that's just stayed with me. And then has I've learned that more and more throughout different leadership programs and different ways of showing up. And it's so did did you did you so I, I want to reference something that Christine read to me this morning yes. that just stopped me in my tracks. Ooh. Like so I I I've been in business for a long time. I've been in sales for a, for a long time, and. I think leadership is something that is, I'm dare I say, God-given, right? I'm not mm. a super religious person, but it is an inherent ability to to lead and trust. And 
did you go to school for business management, entrepreneurship, and leadership? Because in this paragraph, you talk about giving people the flexibility to do, and you let them do their job. You 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 clear the lane. So for may, them. May, may I read it? Because yes. that's exactly the paragraph I was looking at. Yeah, I love I um, love this. It was a business lesson from Dad. Right. Okay. The one who told you you couldn't write, by <laughs> yes, the way. Yes, dad. <laughs> Always surround yourself with people who are smarter and faster than you are. Skip the competitive temptation. Forget being the smartest in the room. Let go of the rain and the rains. They aren't yours to begin with. Your job is to hold the container, set the boundaries, see over the horizon. The rest belongs to the team. Let them do their job. Remove the barriers. Give them the limelight they need to photosynthesize their growth, know when to lead and know when to follow. Like, brilliant. Mm. That is like, a, that is what every leader should be doing. Where did you learn? Like, did, did that come naturally to you? Like, Well, you obviously dad told her. Yes. But yeah. how does that show up? Because I imagine that shows up for you as a member of the board, it shows up for you as a parent. It probably shows up for you as a spouse, as the leader of a committee, as 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 the business leader you are, right? Like it's it's such a it's such a wonderful template to follow for life, right? Right. I think I think I just feel like it's a huge responsibility. And it's not something that you can ever take lightly. And to lead means that you're you're leading other human beings and other human beings are trying to do the best they can with what they have, just like you're trying to do the best you can with what you have. And if we're collectively trying to do something as a board, do something as a company, do something as a family, it, I don't think the that sort of notion of the hierarchical powerful structure is enough. It's a, your, your responsibility is to Offer, I always talk about the yellow lines on the side of the road. Like, mm-hmm. let's stay inside these yellow lines. Guardrails. But I don't otherwise know yes. the exact right way to go down this road that we've agreed to go down together. And it seems to me that if I surround myself with people who I love and care about and give them enough of a safe container to bring their best selves, we're going to do well together. Yes. And any experiment, any place I've ever been where it's not that, we are not successful together. If I'm in a position where I feel belittled, my dignity is taken away, I'm not as good as I think I am, I don't have anything to offer, I don't perform. I just don't. And I think there's a, a, a mistaken way of operating that we have to kind of charge people up or tell them what they need to work on uh, that comes from, you know, it's just a sort of societal norm that I think the more we are willing to break that down and to hold people together and hold them up, the better it is for everybody. Do you do TED Talks? Like, do you do talks? Do you you (laughs) get in front of groups of people and talk to them about, like, personal motivation? Like... You should consider Thank that. you. Yeah. Bits and pieces. We'll see what the next okay. chapter chapter <laughs> brings. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I know that when we did our pre-call, Allison, we talked about your zero hour um, being making a leap from one sort of career pathway in your 20s into the role you currently are in. Um, before we get there, I guess my question is, 
understanding that Leading with Heart came as a result of newsletters that you sent to your clientele with every single one being, you know, being sort of brought back to here at F.H. Perry, we see you, we want to serve you, we do X, Y, and Z. What was the turning point that made you decide, I have this body of work that I want to share with the world beyond my clientele, and I think it's got some legs to make an impact? Like, when was that zero hour? Well, isn't it sort of fun? We were talking about our our wisdom in our older age. Yes. is sort of an accumulation of all of our experiences in mm-hmm. a similar and parallel way to the accumulation of my experiences of writing those pieces. When you start off, I had no idea. All I was doing was trying to write a newsletter so that my clients would not forget who we were and have a way of And to of see touching. a deeper and mm-hmm. connected. I hadn't even gone there yet, Christine. I so appreciate that you acknowledge that it moved into that. Yep. Because at some point I said, well, I'm not going to write a newsletter that tells people how to build a bathroom. That's right. not what I have. Mm-hmm. Somebody on my team could, but that's not what I'm expert mm-hmm. at. I'm expert at the container of how we're all going to be successful together and mm-hmm. to keep poking at that. Mm-hmm. And maybe I shouldn't even say I'm expert at it because I, I keep oh, learning you are. inside of it. It's such a learning journey, which is part of what I love. But I so people kept saying, oh, these are, you know, I, so then I started writing more yeah. how I think or how I felt or what was going on. And at different points, people said, oh, well, you should write a book. And I thought, well, I'm not a, I'm not a writer. Welcome to the club. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the club. And I'm not going to sit down and write a book. All I do are these, you know, sort of eight and a half by 10 page newsletters and call it a day. Yeah. But there was some point where I thought, gosh, I do have a big body of work. Um, So these started in 2014, 2015. And by 2022, I sort of thought, oh, well, maybe I should put these together somewhere for my kids. So I'm going to go to Staples and, Mm -hmm. you know, buy a binding thing mm-hmm, and put mm-hmm. them all in a binder and mm-hmm. shove it on my bookshelf for posterity. Yeah. And then I thought, well, maybe it would be nice if I actually bound bound it. Mm-hmm. And then I found this woman uh, who in North Carolina who I sent all of them to. And I said, can you just help me make a book? Her name is Marty Lentz. And she she said, you know, I've read all of these from start to finish because I put them in chronological order, of course, mm-hmm. when I sent them. She said they're wonderful pieces and it could be a terrific memoir. But there is a theme in here for what these pieces are saying. It does show how you think about running a company. It does show what your philosophical approach is to living in this world. And we could move it over to the business aisle in our minds, you know, like Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. go from the memoir to the sort Mm -hmm. of business leadership section. And I had that was my zero hour. That was zero hour. I literally had chills just now. And I panicked. I thought, well, I don't, I, I'm just still doing this. I'm still trying to figure this out. And so the whole process that she took me through, that took 18 months to get me to a place where I felt like really? I really had that thread to offer. And she helped me com- like put the book into the sections that it's in. That is fantastic. So, so I had this aha moment as I processed what this meant, right? What this was to you and the fact that it is an F.H. Perry, like, it's like a monument to F.H. Perry, but it is also a memoir and it is also a, a, a leadership primer, if you will, right? Yeah. So 
I had this moment going, oh, my God, Allison, you are my, like, sister. Mm-hmm. Like, because this podcast for me, everybody, when I say, hey, you know, I have a podcast, everybody's like, oh, are you writing about the call? Co- are you talking about the college process? Right. And I'm like, no, no. fuck no. <laughs> but it, I justify it as an offshoot of what the business does because it is a part of the branding of the business. And it is about storytelling, which is it is the heart and soul of what I do with the mm-hmm. students with whom I work, only expanded, right? And I thought, oh, my God, it seeing this sort of crystallize in the way that it did for me made me realize what what the podcast has meant to me as well. So thank you for I love that. It's really cool yeah. to like be in parallel with you, Allison. I would I'll be in parallel with you anytime. Me too. <laughs> me too. But I love that the what so far I've noticed too is uh, when you put a book together or maybe you guys know when you put a podcast out it's just out. It's just out. You, you, have, you no have no idea, idea what, yeah. what's going to yeah. happen. So it yeah. has to be for you on some level, and then you just get to relish it's all therapeutic. the different feedback that you yes. have. Yeah. So, like, so I get a text every now and again. I got a text from a buddy of mine, and I, I, he was like, bro, he goes, your podcast is hysterical. <laughs> it's like, it's the number one thing I listen to right now. And I hadn't spoken to this dude in, like, 15 years. Awesome. And all of a sudden... We're back texting You're with each connected. other. It's, yeah. So for us and for you as well, I'm sure, it's kind of like it's a labor of love. Not even labor, but it's it's like it's cleansing. It makes me feel good. Like the microphone, you know, and telling stories is where it's my happy place. Yeah. Like, you know, when yeah. when when we're doing all the prep work and we're trying to get people lined up. It's the one thing I don't get stressed out about. Mm, I'm like, it's so fun. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm I'm not stressing out about this. I'm like, it's all good. Like, we'll figure it out. You know, people are people, and we'll make it happen. Yeah, yeah. It's so important. It is so important in your life. It's the it's the creative outlet. Okay, okay. Back to you. So, I I wanted to sort of acknowledge that aspect, but I also, you know, in our prep call. We talked a little bit about your journey before you got to F.H. Perry, and there's so many questions I have to ask you as a mom and and in terms of the choices that you made in terms of where you lived and all of that stuff. But I want to bring you back to, like, Hopkinton Elementary School and deciding at such a young age, because I believe you you left the Hopkinton school system to pursue a specific path that you pursued for a while as early as age 12 or 13? Yeah. Yeah, so I think, um, and again, back to my supportive parents who sort of were able to see what was blossoming in me, because uh, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't know. I was right. playing youth soccer. I was uh, going down the athlete trail. It has been such a joy of my life to realize I have zero hand-eye coordination and so I can <laughs> finally let go of feeling like I need to be able to do that. Um but uh, Walnut Hill School in Natick, Massachusetts, was a lifesaver for me and for many, many young people who uh, found themselves in environments that were just ever so slightly an imperfect match, or maybe mm. greatly an imperfect match. 
um, but a place that really celebrates us as artists and mm-hmm. as young artists. And not necessarily at the time that I went there. And I would I um, would say the school is still de- very dedicated to this. It's about the focus on the whole student. And the whole student happens to have this art piece that they're going to use for themselves to define themselves, to explore who they are. Um, and you get it's very rigorous. There's yes. no question about it. Uh, the dedication it takes to be at rehearsal late at night, the audition process, the selection process, understanding what you're going to do with it. Like, you know, we all thought we were going to be fabulous, famous artists when we got older, but it's more really focused on developing this whole child. And it was such a perfect place for me to go. So you were a theater major. Theater major. Did you board because it is a boarding mm-hmm. school or did you go as a day student? So I was uh, back then they had uh, seventh and eighth grade. So I went as a seventh grader and from seventh grade through 10th grade, I was a day student. Okay. And bringing it back, I suppose, to the business that never, ever crossed my mind at the time, I would arrive in the F.H. Perry backfiring dump truck and get <laughs> dropped off Outside the auditorium before morning assembly, thinking I was absolutely gonna have to shrivel up and why do I have why, why do I have a, a vision? Was your dad was your dad driving the dump said dump truck? Sometimes dad was driving said dump truck. Sometimes it was a poor project manager who was probably now that I think about it, like 28, 29 years old, who was like, "Oh man, I've got to freaking oh, drive God. the boss's daughter to Natick to go to school on the way to his yes." Oh my! So God. when I think of, it's extraordinary when I think. Of about it but anyway I, I have a vision of like the Hatfields and the McCoys and like this old beat up like like w- old Ford with like a rumble seat in, in the back <laughs> dropping off the boss's kid that's funny eventually though it became too too much and I um for all of us I mean just you know the older yeah. an adolescent girl having to deal with all that and then the, the I have adolescent the girls schools. yeah yeah you know yeah. <laughs> I I hold them dear in my heart yeah, so, uh, so junior and senior year I did live there okay okay and then where did you go and did you go with the intent to pursue theater I quickly opted back to theater. I, I did go to Syracuse for one year and they, because of the communication school and thought I'm going to get really, yeah, really great communication school. Yeah. And I thought I'd get really practical and not just pursue theater. Um, but it was too big a leap for me. And okay. so I transferred to Skidmore and studied theater there and, and did all sorts of wonderful. You are a fellow Skidmore <laughs> alum. That's right. Yay. Go Skidmore. That. Go Skidmore. Boy, and that was another kind of life-saving moment of finding my place with the right people and amazing doing what I needed to do. And where did you go after that? And then I think we followed each other around, right? Or I was following you, I think. So I went out to Seattle. And what year were you in Seattle? So I was doing, I think I did the math wrong when we were talking earlier, but I was out there in 1994 to like 97, 98. Okay. Doing what? Work, working? Um, making a lot of lattes. Okay. <laughs> Barista. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And auditioning. Okay. Auditioning. Do you like the Do you like the audition process? Do you like the We had uh, What did we have? We had. Who was the actor we had here? I can't believe I'm blanking on the name. Jordan. Jordan Rochelson. Not the guy I'm thinking about, but do you the the business of acting is that something you enjoy? Like the business of auditioning and the business of and, and and how do you apply what you were trained to do, right, as a as an actor to what you do today, which is 
running a pretty big business. And not only running it, growing it. Yeah. Like yeah. exponentially growing it. Yeah. yeah. It's um so first of all, auditioning I think is like a muscle. And if you don't, like, it's like going to the gym. If you don't keep doing it, you fall out of it. That's what I learned very quickly. Okay. That's so <laughs> right. interesting. Because uh, it's hard. It's a mental set. It's, right. uh, you know, how you walk in, how you present yourself, how you say your name even, which is all separate stuff from actually how you do the monologue or okay. read the scenes or anything right. like that. Um and I, I think theater in general is a muscle, but it is a, such a leap from the, what I learned when I was in school and mm-hmm. all the roles I could play. I'm six feet tall. Mm-hmm. I go out to Seattle, uh, put on a few pounds because there was a lot of beer drinking and mm-hmm. a lot of bagel sure. eating. Yeah. And um, I was not an ingenue. There was no way I was going to do that, except yeah. mentally I was because yeah. I felt like I'm, you know, I'm a young woman and yeah. that's where I should fit. Sure. sure. Um, so a lot of that time out in Seattle was learning what you could, what I could and could not do. And I think, I do think that my friends that have been successful in the theater are people who are able to turn it into a business, make themselves, they are the product that they are selling, Mm -hmm. figure out, figure it out from a strategic standpoint, as opposed to from an emotional standpoint. And not that in business of being an actor or a director or in creative Mm -hmm. is, is, um, uh, that you don't take your heart out of it in any way that you do in regular business. It's mm-hmm. all the heart and the strategy. But when you're the when you're the product, it's it's even more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so friends that were able to kind of pull that back a little bit and turn it into more of a where do I need to be? Who do I need to know? How do I get out in front? What are the parts and pieces? Not just someone's going to discover me someday and I'm going to be famous. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. So when did you decide? Like, okay, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe theater as a full-time job is not for me. Like, where did you have to go? Or was it just sort of like, oh, okay, I've tried this. A bit that I've tried it, but I needed to come home. And I don't know what your experience was. I, I mean, we talked about how absolutely breathtaking and beautiful Seattle is. Oh, a place so for your beautiful. soul and your it. spirit. Yeah. Yeah. But it was never home. And I got to a point where I just decided it was time. I had to go back to New England. And as soon as I did, I felt my roots sink in. Okay. And I had to be in Boston. I could could not get myself to New York City. I couldn't do why it. Do you, why do you not sound like you're from New England? Like, there's certain people who sound like they're from New I asked you, like, are you from New York? Because, A, your attitude, right, <laughs> right is, is, is great. Well, I think your strength and your strength and your confidence. But, New England. But why, why, like, why do some people, I know I'm getting off subject, sound like they're from New England, New York, wherever, and others don't? Well, I mean, A, I don't think, Allison, you ever grew up with an accent. So there's no, no defining Bostonian accent. No. Really? See, my kids don't have accents, but, like, my ex-father-in-law's got an accent, and my mother-in-law as well. Like, they have, like, you know they're from Massachusetts. Yeah. You know, maybe because they grew up in Worcester, Grafton. I don't know. I don't know. Crazy. Crazy. Okay, so I'm bringing you back. Okay. (laughs) You're in your 20s. Sorry. Oh, we're going back. You've come home. You're going back. Way back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Way back. Way back. You've come home. You're feeling the roots. Mm -hmm. Are you auditioning? Are you involved in acting when you come home? No, I I did let it go. I left that in Seattle. Um, I came home and I started working for a pretty awesome company called Chamber Theater Productions, uh, and I was in their office and I was making a salary, which meant I got paid on Thanksgiving and 
uh, yeah. you know, Christmas and other days where you were told you had to go home. And, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, wow, yeah, this is, is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but that got uh, old fast because it wasn't a big salary. And because there w- it was just what it was. There yeah. wasn't anywhere for me to, to grow. And I really needed to figure out what was next. Mm-hmm. Okay, what was I so... going to do? And that was a big kind of panic moment. Yeah. Of that sort of, oh, crap, maybe I shouldn't have studied theater. <laughs> do, do you think? Yeah, I bet. Do you think? All right. So I was a creative writing major and I was right. like, what the well, hell am I, I going to do with that? Thank God I work with kids exactly. and help them we all write their stories. It out, yeah, it does. There are those moments. Do parents that are sole proprietors or, or entrepreneurs expect or have a, a desire for their kids to take over? The family business. Okay, so I'm going to speak to that from my my parents expected me to take over the family business, and I think I ended up sort of doing my own offshoot that was inspired by the family business. But my brother ended up taking over this, so okay. there was there was an expectation. I have no expectations. I don't necessarily want my kids to take over anything that I have built. Like there's absolutely no expectation. So that's my. Yeah, two cents. Uh, never, we never even thought about it. Really, until uh, until, until your this dad asked yeah. of m- me trying to kind of figure out what was next, and at the same time, dad, because he has an entrepreneurial mindset, was trying to think, well, what else do I need to bring into this business that will make it work? Your brothers and sisters. I have a younger sister, was not she, in the business. Not in the business. No. Was there even a conversation about who's going to do it or what? The, nope. No. No. Nope. No. It was just a. It was just a job, really. At the okay. at the beginning, Dad thought it would be great to bring uh, a a woman into the business and mm-hmm. sort of have some female presence um, to work with our clients in the selections process, tile and faucets and. All that good stuff. We weren't working with architects or interior designers much at the time. And yeah. that's a huge part of what keeps a project on track. And I'm a good organizer and a good shopper. And that's just what we did. That's for amazing. For like six months. You know, we're going to try this for six months. We'll see if it works. Wait, wait. So, so let me ask you. Have, you have kids, right? I do. All right. So is it your desire or expectation that the, that the family business goes to the children? No. 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 Really? Okay. Uh, for a couple of different reasons. One is um, the people who are in the company and have worked at the company at this point, they're the ones that should get the first shot. Wow. That's That is really huge. That I, I would never they have put even in thought sweat that. Sweat equity. They yes. put, put in the time, right? hundred yeah. percent. We I am we are successful because of what they've done. And so that to to bring in uh, there's a sort of hierarchy that is just you swoop in with the, the kid or the next generation. But I think one of the reasons that they that the second or third generation is not as successful is because you're it's t- not there. You're taking over. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there's things like employee stock ownership for small businesses, yeah. s- stuff like that. Um, I don't. Would you be disappointed? Would, would you have the same feeling whether they said yes or no? Like, would there be a sense of disappointment? Like, man, you know, no, mom, like, it's not where my passion is. As a parent, I think you want your kid to follow the passion. But I think, I, I know for me, if I had my own business, right, I, I may want my kid to, like, you know, do it after I'm done, you know. But there doesn't seem to be that way. Huh. That's so interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. I don't have that at all. Well, you know what's interesting, and I'm just going to share this out loud because I have no, like, um, one of the things that my daughter and I have talked about, because she 
she's grown up doing like listening to the work that I do in whatever capacity. And she has said like, hey, mom, you know, you started doing this when you were in college. Like, as I think about work beyond the work that I've done for you in high school, like, would you train me so that I could either work for the nonprofit as a counselor or do some of the work that you do, which is really interesting because I have never had the desire to pass on the work that I that I do in any way, shape or form. But who knows? Maybe there's an fun? opportunity. I mean, when you when you started saying that, what gave me goosebumps is the idea that you're passing it on anyway. And whether yes, or not yes. the kids end up doing exactly what we are doing, uh, there is the way we do it that they're learning. And that they'll bring that so... to whatever they go do. Yes. Yes. Because they end up sitting in the car while we're on phone calls all the time. Yes. Okay. So I, I'm mindful of time because I know that you want to get to whose game is it? Wyatt. Is it There's Wyatt's a game? game to this afternoon. So Wyatt so, yeah. plays lacrosse and hockey. He does. Yeah. We're in full on hockey full season. Full on right hockey now. season. <laughs> As yeah. is Mark and his daughter, too. Uh, yes, yes. It's crazy. Yeah. I wanted to – there was something that I wanted to to ask you about, um, Allison, because we talked about it. You um, you and your husband, Phil, made a very conscious choice in raising your children in terms of choosing a location um, in which you would raise them in. And I just feel like that is so it's, – it's such a – in today's day, I think, somewhat unique choice that you made and a choice that maybe not all – sons-in-law might choose to make. <laughs> yay, Phil. <laughs> um, yay, Phil, and yay to your 25 years. Is it 25? Uh, not yet, 20. 20. Yeah. 20 Congrats. years? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, can you speak to that? Yeah, so uh, Phil and I met actually almost right when I got back from Seattle. And so is he originally from here, he's too? He's from here, too, yeah. So it was so interesting that that, um, that ha- it, I don't know, fate or what have you that that part of coming home was to meet him and we lived together for a long time um i suppose in sin for those who who (laughs) worry about such a thing uh but it gave us such a good way of getting to know each other and um how we would have sort of wanted to lay our lay our lives out together i suppose but you I, i i don't think i really none of us know until we're sort of in it right and doing it um, and trying to figure out the, what I'm reacting to is your the saying the conscious part. Um, we need to figure out where the heck we are going to live mm-hmm. yeah. once we got married. Yeah. And and, um, and my again, my parents said, well, uh, we have they had ten, they have 10 acres in Hopkinton because they moved there 50 years ago. And uh, there's some space across the street. You guys could build a house. Sounds yeah. like a good deal. And yeah. uh, <laughs> so we. I don't feel like it was sort of a painful process of deliberation if there was something about it that maybe it was a zero-hour moment of, yeah, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to just figure it out together, all yeah. of us. Wait, so, so... So... So Allison has raised her kids across the street... Allison has raised her kids across the street from her parents. That's okay, Isn't so that, that wild? So that's what I'm getting at. So that's why, we, that's that. why it's St. Phil, right? St. Phil. Yes. St. <laughs> Phil. Because he's got his mom and dad-in-law across the across street. Across the street. God, brave man. Yes. yes. Faith in the marriage for my parents to say, sure, guys, why yeah. don't you move across the street? Yes. Yeah. Faith that we would all figure out how to cohabitate at this And you got babysitters right across the street. Right, right. Babysitters across the street. But we have to be respectful of the boundaries and not make assumptions about that. And we're all, you know, dancing through our careers and making our lives happen at the same time. So it's been a really, 
I think it's probably been harder for the adults. The kids, it's brilliant. Are and you still there? Disappear. You're still in the same the place. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Your parents still across the street. Still there. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. Awesome. It's a huge gift. There's another question I had to ask, and it's about your um, connection to Vermont. Mm. What is it? Because Mark and I are very like enamored it's our, it's our happy with place. Vermont, yeah. right? Mm. And I was like, oh, the the guy who pours coffee into the styrofoam you cup in Vermont. Guy, I you? know that guy. <laughs> yes. So, what is the role of Vermont it's in your been, life? It's been where we've gone as a family, the Perry family, um, since I was little. And we also spend a significant amount of time at the ocean. Yes. And I have. I read um, that one, too. I've recently really done. I don't know. You know, you do these things at different points. Am I an ocean girl or a mountain girl? And I. You're both. I'm both. But the but Vermont is special. Yes. And the ocean is so big and so epic and so, like, demanding of something. Whereas but Vermont, Vermont feels Vermont, safe. It does. Yes. And I, I've talked to people who have the very opposite feeling. But yet again, Christine, why we you're are like my spirit animal? We, uh, I love it there. I, I do too. Where, where in Vermont do you go? Uh, we've gone to a place called Brownsville, which is sort of Windsor, just south yep. of Woodstock, Escutney okay. Mountain. Nice. Yeah. 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 Trails in the woods. Yeah. Big vistas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Animals. Yeah. I, I want to. I, I wish we could stay on forever, but I want to end us with one last quote from what is one of my favorite of the essays in your book, um, and it's called Somewhere Safe, dated December 17th, 2015. Um, just And just then, I will remember that love prevails and hope endures, that more often than not, I am lucky and safe and protected. And when I falter, I can have faith that there is some guy in Vermont who can pour serenity into a styrofoam cup, can tolerate difference with a wink, can bring peace with a strand of light. Thank you for being our strand of lights today oh, yeah. um, and for being with us to share your wisdom, your heart, and your faith in humanity and in us. Leading with love. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for giving me a place to belong this afternoon. And for all who are looking to purchase your book, how do they do that, Allison? Are you on Amazon? Uh, you can purchase it at fhperry.com backslash book, and it'll take you right to the page. fhperry.com backslash book. And thank you, Allison Iantosca. Ladies and gentlemen, Allison Iastaka. <laughs> Ian Tosca. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks for, for being you. with us. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> Thank you. So thanks for joining us for the Zero Hour. I'm Christine Chapman. And this is your co-host, Mark Fuchs. Have a great week. Until next time. Until next time. Oh.